On this episode of Resi Week, sound rooms are going to increase at CD Expo. Blue Bolt 2.0 is here, and are you ready for CCPA? All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 186, Audio is Experienced. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by AV Pro Edge, manufacturer of next-level video distribution solutions. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and information for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott, for avnation.tv. And today, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends, Jeremy Golwaki. He is the executive editor at Residential Tech Today. How are you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing well, thank you. Great to be back. Thank you so much for being here, even though you are son's quarterback these days. Yeah, um, let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> still painful, still fresh. Still fresh. Too soon. Too soon. Ah, it's been out for at least like 24 hours. That's a news cycle right there. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And the voice you heard right there is my good friend Arlen Schweiger. He is the managing editor of CE Pro. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me on again. Thank you, gentlemen, both for being here. We're going to kick this off uh, with a story that comes to us from CE Pro, and it, it's we're, we're starting to count down the days to till Cedia Expo, uh, something like 19 days as of today. Uh, this story from CE Pro is on Cedia Expo 2019 and sound rooms that deliver education and entertainment. Uh, this year, the sound floor demonstrations are going to be. Uh, the sound room demonstrations are going to be larger than they have been even in the past. Uh, and through this article, it looks through uh, 19 brands that are showcasing some of their latest products and technology in the sound rooms. Arlen, I'm going to start with you on this one. And I, I don't necessarily want to dig into the brands that are there. If you read through the article, you'll notice a, a lot of names that you know, maybe some names you don't know. Uh, some surprising names that will be involved in some of these rooms, et cetera. What I really wanted to talk about with this, though, was the, 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 over the past couple of years that I've been attending CD Expo, and it's going on 10-something years now, um, we've kind of seen that, that shift of tons of sound rooms and, and demo rooms, and then only a couple. And then we're ramping back up, and we're seeing more and more uh, sound rooms, demo rooms, you know, experiences opposed to just boxes on white pedestals. What is the, what is the trend that's driving uh, really manufacturers to invest in the floor space and the, the staffing and everything involved in putting on uh, not only usually a trade show booth somewhere on the floor, but also these sound rooms and these demo rooms. What, what's causing the, the increase of that again? I think the industry is really just, you know, pushing the audio experience. Uh, you know, certainly there seems to have been this, you know, backlash about, oh, well, now everyone can just use smart speakers. Um, you know, they can stream, low-res streaming. Uh, but then you come out with things like Tidal and you see, you know, this resurgence of vinyl. It's not really a resurgence anymore. It's just here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the sound rooms are really the manufacturer's way of saying, hey, you know, this is a great way audio needs to be experienced via demo. And if they can, you know, kind of show that 
scripted message to dealers. It's something that dealers can kind of replicate in their own showrooms if they have them and really kind of give a lift to this, you know, high-end audio. Uh, I think this year, especially, you know, it's probably already going to be on a lot of dealers' minds. I don't know if, you know, there are going to be a lot of people who are just out there for two weeks because the Rocky Mountain Audio Fest was moved up to, you know, right before the expo as well. Uh, And so for the manufacturers, maybe it made a lot of sense also to say, hey, you know, let's go out there for that. We're going to stay out there for CDA Expo. And, you know, we're going to really get our presentation, you know, nice and perfected for the, for the show. But, you know, for them, I think it's a good way that, you know, they can block their schedule 20, 30 minutes at a time and get a really nice script, get a really nice demo going for a captive audience. Very good. Jeremy, when you, when you follow this, when you listen to and, and read the industry reports, the industry is massive. You have everyone down to, you know, people selling just basic wireless speakers for 200 bucks up to your ultra high end selling for a whole lot more than 200 bucks. When you walk around the show floor, it is that dichotomy. You're going to have the Googles and the rings and Sonos and, and all of the, you know, more traditional entry level uh, manufacturers. You're also going to have the, the ridiculous high end, uh, products that are out there what does it say to 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 dealers and 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 even newcomers to the industry who walk around and see this dichotomy of of what the show floors become it's not just an ultra high-end show it's not an entry-level diy show it's not a smart home show it's really home technology it's really what it's become what is having all of these different levels on the same floor available to everybody. What does that do to, to bolster the industry? Does it do anything? Well, I, I think, you know, having attended, you know, Arlen spoke of the uh, Rocky Mountain show that's a week before, and that's a truly high-end audio show. Um, it, it's really a whole other world compared with Cedia Expo, as diverse as it is with these, these companies that you're talking about. Um, I still think this is still a more attainable price point that we're talking about with a lot of these um, audio brands that we're uh, going to see and, and hear. Um, I was at the one that, that the uh, similar show in Chicago and yeah, you go through there and you see a, a dozen companies that you're familiar with, but then there are a hundred plus that are just these, are they going to be around next year because they sell you know, a handful of these systems a year, you know, a pair of speakers here, a pair of speakers there. They're basically custom built. Um, this is a really esoteric high-end type of space. Cedia, it's going to be, um, you know, the Harmons of the world who have a huge price point on their speakers. They, they really um, value that, uh, that special quality um, sound, you know, production. But they're, you know, they're still a brand that you see at retail as well. You know, JBL, there's Synthesis, and then there's JBL that you buy at Target. You know, they're totally different products, but they have that brand recognition. You're going to see a lot more of that at Cedia. And I think what, what you get is you get a variety of experiences there that it's hopefully making it a, a draw for people to attend. You know, it's harder and harder for, um, unless you're a, um, a Comic-Con kind of an event, it's harder and harder to get people to come together 
to a big expo event. Um, so much of what you do is um, local training, online training, regional training. Um, to be able to draw people in, you have to give them some sort of an experience. And I think that a demo room is that way of, of offering that um, way of saying, hey, this is what you should be doing back at your showroom if you have one or going into a client's home and presenting to them. Um, or taking them into an existing client. Um, but you really, you know, you're not going to get that excitement from just walking through a booth necessarily. Some of the video, you know, you can accomplish a little bit like that, but audio, um, you've got to get them in as, as controlled of an environment as possible, get their attention, walk them through the, the you know, dog and pony of the event that you've you've set that scripted thing as Arlen said you know it's it's really important that you kind of learn the best way to demonstrate this to your clients so they get excited about then when you're back in your own territory so let me ask you guys this kind of building off what Arlen said and what you just said Jeremy how much of this is essentially something that is not it's not spoken but it's something that smart integrators pick up on walking into these demos and, and listening to really the manufacturer reps that give demos every day. This is what they do. They try to impress <laughs> a bunch of people that would argue that they probably know more than the person giving the demo. How much should integrators be trying to learn how to properly do a demo and how to properly experience the things that we sell? from going through, you know, these sound rooms or these demo rooms? I think there's plenty for them to learn. You know, we've, we've written profiles about companies that, you know, actually have a written out showroom script so that when they have prospective clients come to their showroom and they have an appointment set up, you know, from the moment they open the door, everything that they see through the walkthrough, you know, those sales reps for that company have been given, you know, really good cues on what to say at each thing. And at the same time, we have we get, you know, story after story from, you know, not just audio companies, but from manufacturers, reps who sell these products and integrators who talk about, you know, audio in particular is a very emotional experience. You know, we all have, you know, so many associations that are just tied to audio where you can remember, you know, especially with not just music, but with film soundtracks and, you know, you just remember certain scenes based on the audio that goes with them. So mm -hmm. I think between you know the two-channel and the multi-channel experience, um, there is that you know selling to the emotions that you know we we hear all the time from from dealers and reps and all that. And it, I think it's just part of the experience. And you know at CDA Expo, it's a it's a great way for them to see it from guys who, like you said, have done this every day, and and, and they still you know get it. You know, when you go to, and you know who still gets a big blast out of doing it too. You know, I think you know those companies and you know those guys when you go into those rooms. Very much so. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from Residential Tech Today. Blue Bolt 2.0 elevates IP power management. If you don't know what Blue Bolt is, where have you been? No, uh, Blue Bolt essentially uh, is, a, is a product of Panamax and, and Furman. And it is the really the the original IP power management platform that that was developed to again have remote access of your your power strips and, and your power devices to reset things. 
they have released, as we mentioned, uh, Blue Bolt 2.0. It adds an improved UI, some performance updates, and a bunch of new features, including some advanced admin rights to manage access for individuals and groups, which is really, really cool uh, as you're working through that. Uh, some of the other cool things that they added was watch lists and some super search technicalities, as well as uh, a lot of self-healing um, infrastructure for network devices. Jeremy, I want to start with you on this one. This may seem like a really mundane topic to talk about. It's it's power, it's power management, and it's remotely power cycling a device. It's kind of not that sexy. It's it's kind of hard to get super excited over this. But anyone that A, has been in this business a long time or B, has experienced that ridiculously annoying emergency truck roll to power cycle a modem or a cable box. Once they've discovered IP power management, they're usually in love with it. Jeremy, what has made it so difficult to sell this uh, to clients? Why have, we, why have we as an industry had such a hard time selling IP remote management? Well, I, mean, I think, you know, you talk about RMR, recurring monthly revenue as a, as a category, um, an opportunity, um, but it's really just service and paying for service. And what a lot of our, um, our readers, the integrators out there are, are doing is they sort of put that part of their presentation kind of on the back burner. It's like one of the last things that they may mention. And then that's generalizing. I'm sure there are plenty that are that are on top of this, but the challenge I think is when you when you um, undersell your service plan, and maybe you don't even have a service plan, a formal one, um, and it's just putting out fires when they happen. I think what there's some embarrassment um, that the client is spending as much money as they are on these systems, and they think that they should just work forever. You, you bought this thing; it should should just keep running. But then you know the the savvy integrators explain, you know, computers are constantly needing upgrades. You know, think about your phone and all the, you know, adjustments that are made, you know, with upgrades on your on your iPhone, for instance. Um, think about the power issues that occur, whether it's a lightning strike or a simple surge, you know, because we've got a grid that's not what it used to be. Um, all of these things can affect the quality of the system. And if you can explain that in the right way, I think um, by saying that, hey, you know, we, we're running a business, we, we of course want to service these problems and get them solved as quickly as possible, but to do that, we need to put this type of a, a device in the system to be able to remotely go in and, and correct a problem, or maybe it is a self-healing kind of scenario, but, um, you know, if, if we're able to, you know, continue to stay in business and be the company for you, then there's a fee associated with that and you know you have a way of you know establishing that with the client and uh you know you would hope that they would respect that and and sign up for it and it's i think just been a challenge because it's a different way of going to business for a lot of integrators who never really thought that way before very good arlen this is something that we talked about kind of pre-show um and it's something that you've been a big proponent of in all of the writing that, that I've followed you doing over the last however many years. 
Jeremy alluded to it that it's it, it's out of our comfort zone for most integrators to go in and, and sell RMR. This is kind of like the easiest way to sell an RMR package that, hey, you know, Mr. Mr. Customer, Mrs. Customer, when, you know, you have those power events, as Jeremy alluded to, A, half the time we'll know it and we'll just reset it for you. But B, when you call us and say, hey, there's a problem, it's not four hours till we get there. It's not the next day. It's 30 minutes if, and we can go in and do it. Why have we not succeeded at the RMR conversation, whether it be, you know, power, networks, anything else, when car manufacturers have been able to do that, pool guys can sell you a maintenance contract, landscapers can, our industry is full of really smart people. Why is this such a big stumbling block? Because everyone will tell you they're doing it. And as our conversation at the start of the show had, we know very few people are actually doing this well if they didn't come from security. It's true. And so, yeah, like you said, security has provided that model. And, and elsewhere, you know, these guys know that their customers are paying monthly fees from so many different places. And, you know, I think a lot of them might be looking at that now and saying, yeah, this this is the time to do it because, you know, they're used to doing that. Uh, it's, it's the $100,000 question and why can't they do it? And power seems to be the way in. It's what are all your components connected to? Well, they're connected to power devices, you know, to not only get the protection, but a lot of them, you know, they say, well, they're going to help with the power conditioning, the power protection and all that. Um, it's a good question. You know, um, our editor, Jason Knott, recently profiled a company in Texas called Service Tech AV. And, you know, at one point they just put their foot down and said, we're going to use that service part of our service name. And, you know, as opposed to what Jeremy was saying and underselling ourselves, we're going to lead with service. And so they decided, hey, you know what? If you don't want to sign a service contract, you can go look elsewhere for your integration. And that's really just, they decided that that was going to be their line in the sand to draw. And they've gone from that and they have a hugely successful business and they do resi and they do commercial. Um, and it's, it's a good question. It's something for a lot of, uh, a lot of these guys to look into. Um, you know, I did see for Blue Bolt specifically, I saw the product uh, previewed at Infocom and it looked like they're even with these new features just even more carrots that integrators can take, you know, especially I was looking at that. There's the watch list feature. So you can have your super high priority clients be at the top of that watch list. So God forbid anything happens to their, you know, six figure systems, seven figure systems, that you'll be on that right away. And I think a lot of them just have to do something along the lines of what Service Tech AV did and what some security integrators do and, you know, and some of the, the big commercial guys too. And basically just, you know, look to restructure uh, the way that you sell, the way that you do contracts, so that it is one of the things that you lead with, as opposed to tacking it on at the end of the conversation. Oh, by the way, we can do this for you for when it comes to maintenance and service repairs. Like, just start off and be, hey, you know, everything we do these days, it can be IP connected, and here's the easiest way for us to, you know, maintain your system. And there you go, you know. If that sounds good to you, we'd love to have you for business. And if it doesn't, maybe we're not the right company for you. Very good. Jeremy, when, when you follow, you know, this conversation and this, this aspect of it, um, 
you know, kind of probably the same way that I do. What always surprises me is it, it, it shouldn't be that hard to sell service these days, whether it's a monthly contract or however you get there. But isn't a large aspect of our industry moving towards just the service side of things? Should this not just be an easier thing to convince integrators of? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the value of our industry, you know, above anything else. You know, of course, providing the experience that we just described in the first story, that's a huge part of it as well. Something that you can't get by buying something, you know, and doing DIY. It's just not the same experience, not the same emotional response that you're going to get out of those speakers and that type of quality. But um, yeah, to be able to um, be assured that your system is going to work or at least if it doesn't, you know who to call. You know, if you're doing a DIY system, it's on you. You know, you're, you may be calling some service provider. Good luck with that. You know, waiting to, you know, get through a call center to talk to the right person to fix whatever it is from your, you know, um, you know, cable company or whatever. But um, you know, to know that you've got an integrator who is going to know the ins and outs of your system, and you know, you can trust that they're going to respond to you within a certain set amount of time. I mean, that, that is what we should be selling. That's what it is that the right, the good integrators out there can do. And, um, you know, I've got a company that I work with. And as much as I've learned over the years as a, as a writer, as an editor, you know, I have, a, you know, a, a certain lack of technical ability at a certain point. And I know that I can turn to these guys and they're going to have the answer that I'm looking for if something's not working or they're going to be able to find it pretty quickly, a lot easier than I will. And it's just, it's a really reassuring thing, especially if you're a high net worth person, you know, which is a lot of our industry's clients, mm -hmm. they need to have that, you know, to, to be able to, you know, not sweat the details on their, on their home. Very good. All right, gentlemen, let's move quickly to our last story of the day. This comes to us from CE Pro as well. A survey finds that over 50% of businesses do not comply with the new uh, California Consumer Privacy Act. Uh, the survey suggests that over 56% of businesses are not fully prepared for the new requirements as mandated in that Privacy Act. Now, keep in mind that this is not industry specific. Uh, if I'm reading this correctly, and Arlen, hopefully you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but essentially the majority of U.S. businesses that are operating in some way, shape, or form in the state of California are not ready for this when it comes into law January 1st of 2020. Very, very brief overview. Um, the CCPA is just really trying to protect consumers and give them more rights in the use and collection of their information by companies. Uh, so essentially, if you're a company that sells to someone in California, buys from someone in California, if you do any business in the state of California, this does affect you. What depend, no matter which side you're on as far as a consumer or a provider. Arlen, let me, let me start with you real quickly. California is noted for uh, being very progressive in a lot of this type of legislation. And usually it is first done in California, and then it ends up being adopted essentially nationally. Uh, Canada has a very similar Privacy Act, uh, GDRP in Europe, uh, came into effect uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, has really changed the way industries are working. Within our industry, 
why do integrators as a rule, because I'm assuming that this number is likely smaller uh, than the percentage that aren't ready within our industry. How do integrators maintain and, and, and companies within our, within our channel, how do they maintain and, and stay up to date with this type of legislation, which is honestly fairly broad and uh, a challenge to, to stay compliant with? Right. I think uh, you're right in terms of certainly California leading the way in a lot of these types of things. Uh, you know, I know that Cedia is a huge resource for following regulations uh, and potential legislation that's going on throughout the country. Um, so I know that integrators can certainly go to Cedia uh, and say, hey, what's, what's going on with these types of things uh, on the residential side, the same way you know, on the commercial side, they can look at uh, an organization like NSCA to see what, you know, they're following. And then on the security side, they can, you know, they can look at uh, SIA or ESA to see some of the same kind of things. And, you know, the way that, uh, that the smart home industry and people's smart home concerns are these days for, you know, not only who they're doing business with, but you know, what, what are they, what are they buying? You know, what are these products going to effect in their daily lives uh, in terms of privacy, cyber liabilities, things like that. Uh, I think integrators need to start turning to some of these associations. And even, you know, a lot of them will, uh, you know, I know like for the security industry, there are certain law firms that just very much specialize in security firms and help them out with the way that they're able to formulate contracts and give them templates for using contracts with uh, with their customers. And, you know, it could come a time where a lot of the custom integrators, even if they're small firms, you know, may need to look at something like that. But, you know, we certainly know not only is California uh, progressive in this way, but, you know, I think as you mentioned, a lot of, um, a lot of the, the CI companies in California are among the leaders in the industry. I know with our CE Pro 100, every year, you know, the most companies come from California, whether it's, you know, the, the tech area um, in Silicon Valley or down in Southern California. But, you know, it's going to be going on everywhere, I think. Very good. Jeremy, it, I, I, I come from a family of lawyers. So my, my mind always goes to litigious options and all, all the fun things that come with, you know, having lawyers on retainer. Um, most times that any sort of legal question comes up w with um, other integrators that I chat with, no one usually has counsel that they deal with. Nobody has a contact except maybe one of their clients uh, who happens to be a lawyer. We're not as a, as an industry, at least in my experience, really good at trying to keep up on legislation. And, and trying to, especially stuff that doesn't directly impact our industry, right? And this, I, I would argue that this is one of those generic um, laws that affects you doing business, but it's not industry specific by any means. Does our industry lack some of the business principles of trying to maintain how to stay legal while you're working your business? Is that something that, that the industry has a challenge with? And if so, how do they correct it? 
Yeah, I mean, that that's where my mind was going to, actually. I was thinking that uh, this is the perfect, perfect example of when you need to have a lawyer on retainer. Um, and I think we probably are at a disadvantage in that our industry is a little different than a typical small business. I mean, there are some different hoops that you have to jump through working with clients. I don't know. Uh, if the best corollary is, um, you know, security, uh, you know, maybe because it's a bigger industry, there's, there are more lawyers that, um, you know, attuned to that space. Um, I honestly don't know the, the answer to that. Uh, you know, I, I use the, the, the thought that came to mind for me was that um, I'm, I'm one of the lucky members of my HOA, my, um, you know, subdivision. And w there is a a law, law firm specializing in HOA law, and, you know, in Indianapolis. And so we've got them on retainer. You know, there's something that specific. Of course, there are a lot more HOAs, but, um, you know, they, that's their job is to keep up with every state law um, that could affect, you know, you, you know, working with your homeowners. Um, there's got to be something out there. And I think CD is probably in their best position to find that kind of company. They've worked with some Lawyers in the past at different conferences brought them in, and they've talked about specific states' um, compliance issues and things. But mm -hmm. to me, this sounds like something you need to get the language right in your con contracts with your clients from the get-go. I mean, it's about personal data. So just having some kind of language in there that says you're not going to sell their data, um, you know, you've got, you know, a, a, a inroad into anything there if you're running their network. So... Yeah. You know, this seems like definitely a, a potential vulnerability for them working with, with an integrator. Um, I wonder, too, if the manufacturers themselves, you know, are going to need to worry about this um, because there's a lot more liability there with the amount of money that's being invested in the industry. So um, they're going to be as, as interested in finding out the proper language on their products and um, you know, not necessarily contracts in their case, but, uh, there, there, there's probably something very simple that can be done that gets you off the hook, but you need to, of course, follow those rules that, and I'm sure very few of our industry are in any position to sell anybody's data. It's not really <laughs> something that, that, uh, is going on, but, uh, you never know if you link to a, a Google home product or something like that, whether that puts you at a different liability or an Amazon product that they could be doing something that's completely um, in another world from what you're interested in. But then because you sold the system that it's in there, that could make you liable. So who knows? It's, it's, a, it's an uh, unfortunate situation to be in, but I'm sure very good for the consumer in California. It's just got to be, you know, we got to protect ourselves from, from liability. I think the the takeaway that I always have every time I read these is if you don't, as you mentioned, Jeremy, if you don't have a lawyer on retainer, you need to get one. Uh, but two, you shouldn't be writing your own contracts. That's That's why you have people to protect you. And it's not because you're not smart enough. It's just because you don't know everything that you don't know. All right, gentlemen, let's leave it there on that really bright note. <laughs> or I offend everyone. Um, thank you, gentlemen, so much for being here. Uh, Jeremy, if people want to connect with you, learn more about residential tech today, where can they do that? Uh, well, go to restechtoday.com and uh, 
in a short amount of time, you'll get a pop-up that uh, asks you to subscribe to the magazine and we'd love to grow, grow our subscriber base. It's something that never really was an issue uh, in my prior life, uh, but with a startup only a year old, we're, we're still kind of in uh, uh, a grassroots kind of mode here. So we need, need all the eyeballs on the things we're writing about that we can get. So love nice. to have them. Excellent. Thank you so much. Arlen, my good friend, thank you so much for being here as well. If people want to connect with you, uh, learn more about CE Pro, where can they do that? Thanks for having me, Matt. They can always go to cepro.com. Uh, and we've got tons of CD Expo stuff uh, on the site right now. And they can also sign up to get, uh, you know, drink tickets uh, for our CE Pro All-Star Band that's going to be uh, going on on the Expo Smart Stage, and they can find us, uh, or they can find me also at uh, Arlen Schweiger on Twitter. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. For myself, if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you support them as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. 